We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Indiana Pacers, which means absolutely nothing. Literally nothing. Quite quite possibly the most meaningless game that the Knicks have played all season, which will only be rivaled by the final two games that they play during the regular season. Of course, we're still going to watch them. Of course, we're still going to preview them. But after what transpired on Tuesday night, which was that the Brooklyn Nets, little brother, lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves, they can no longer catch the Knicks. The Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Orlando Magic. The Knicks can no longer catch them. And the Philadelphia 76ers beat the Boston Celtics. The Cavs can no longer catch them. We are locked into a 4-5 matchup between the Knicks and the Cavaliers in the first round. It should be fun. All the storylines. We've already started mapping out our content and preview schedule for next week. I know you're going to enjoy it. As far as the episode you're about to hear, though, while I would expect that in under different circumstances, you might not care about this preview podcast that is talking about a game that doesn't matter. But because I was able to get Caitlin Cooper, one of the more brilliant minds that talks about the NBA, covers the NBA, um, and just talks about ja- basketball in general, for that matter, uh, she covers the Indiana Pacers for through her Patreon now uh, basketball. She wrote the link to that is in the description. But she used to be at Indy Cornrows, has been on this pod many times, and she. You will, if you haven't heard her yet, she is somebody you are going to want to listen to. So let's get into it. I had a feeling that this game would be meaningless. And so we steered away from actual conversations about this game. But having said that, we do talk about the Pacers season at large and some of the things she's seen about the Pacers team. And then we talk about the Knicks and this upcoming series against the Cavs and whether or not she thinks the Knicks will be able to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers without one Julius Randle. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Caitlin Cooper of Basketball She Wrote, a Patreon you should all sign up for. Enjoy. Joining me now here on the Knicks Film School pregame show, game 80. Can you believe it? We've made it through 80 regular season games. We're about to make it through 80 regular season games. And for us here in New York, there is more to look forward to. But joining me to talk about the Indiana Pacers, that was such a mean intro now that I'm realizing it, that I'm rubbing it in that the Indiana Pacers don't have playoff games to look forward to. But what can I say? I'm, I'm a 90s 
boy at the end of the day. And I just can't help but through the Knicks Pacers rivalry to bring that up that the Pacers don't have the postseason to look forward to. But I am honored to welcome a a celebrity, if you want to call it. Um, she is the author of Basketball. She wrote a blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers. You can sign up for her Patreon with the link that's in the description of this episode. Miss Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, welcome back to the Knicks Film School Podcast. Happy to be back. Before we hopped on here, I told you that I'm pretty sure that this was the last podcast I did before mm-hmm. I got told that Vox was no longer going to be supporting Indy Cornrows. So I'm hopeful that this will reverse that hex. Yes. I won't tank another website after I finish this episode <laughs> and we will be on the upward trajectory. So here's the deal. Um, if that were to happen, then I think it's official, like we're banned or you're banned. Whatever happens, this relationship is over. If something yep. were to happen, I could confidently say, I think I can confidently say um, that we don't have to worry about that because as a patron of basketball, she wrote, um, the work is outstanding and I'm sure um, it's going to stay that way going forward. What has it been outstanding, even more specifically since the last time we talked uh, is our teams went in different directions. Now, the Knicks obviously made a big trade. Um, no, Obi Toppin didn't get traded to the Indiana Pacers. While that is still a thing, a lot of Knicks fans are potentially looking for, or even looking forward to, so that way Obi can go to a place where he's used more than 12 minutes behind Julius Randle. Um, the Pacers, on the other hand, did go somewhat the other direction. How are the vibes right now in Indy? What would you say is the thing that went the other direction since the last time we talked? Well, I mean, I think we're in January, so mm-hmm. Tyrese, bef- well, Tyrese during that game got injured, I believe. That's right. So that's the, that's missed- the Halliburton injury. That's right. Yeah. So then he missed like 10 games in a row and then the vibes were not good. I think they found out how far away they were from contending once he wasn't on the floor anymore. I, I guess I should say playoff contending, not, you know, contending for a title, but that was kind of the first tipping point. And then I think also when he was out, you know, Rick Carlisle was shrewd in that midway through the year, they decided, you know, we can't continue with the Miles Turner, Jalen Smith front court. They had adjusted and put Aaron Neesmith in at the four and they were playing these, you know, four guard lineups off the bench and in the starting lineup in part because they just had lots of guys who needed playing time, but also because it was just a more effective means of playing than what was happening with, you know, opposing bigs cross matching against Jalen and then Miles is not seeing fives and being able to pull them into space. So they put Aaron at the four and I kind of felt like during that span of time, in addition to not having Tyrese and the fact that their turnovers went up, they weren't making as many shots that was impacting their defense. It also felt like in the half court that teams were starting to find little hacks for the fact that like Miles's defensive role has changed quite a bit this year and that he gets assigned to lower usage wings or if he is guarding a center, it's normally against guys like Mitchell Robinson who aren't going to be shooting threats so he can help off brazenly. So he's always being kept low around the basket. He's always helping off. And that's somewhat against some of his natural rhythms. I feel at times where he's, you know, in the past been somebody that you funnel the pick and roll action to, he swallows that up. And now he's kind of roaming off ball and more like what Jaron Jackson Jr. And Robert Williams have done in the past. So it kind of felt like teams were finding little hacks to attack that. So like for one game, I would give as an example, they played the thunder and right off the bat, like miles is guarding Josh Giddy, And the way that the thunder attacked that is they put Josh Giddy in the post. Mm. So because he's posting outside the lane, Miles has to go away from the basket in order to defend Josh Giddy. Then the Thunder are running split action and somebody's getting a layup right at the rim. So it was little tiny things like that along the way that really kind of pulled tolls and like what was already a patchwork defense that they were trying to make work without having size. So I think that was kind of the tipping point between Tyrese and then the defense having more issues. 
Yeah, to give everybody an idea of the the statistical breakdown of what these two teams have been since the last time they played um, since January 11th, which was that last game. And obviously, like you said, Halliburton got hurt and some guys have been in and out of the lineup. Um, The Knicks are currently since then are 24 and 14 with a 3.5 net rating, which is good for eighth in the NBA. And the Pacers are 11 and 27 with a 6.9 minus 6.9. It'd be very good if they were 6.9 <laughs> net rating um, in the league. And look, the, the biggest conversation we had back then when we discussed like the state of both teams and like, is Richard teams battling for play in positioning? I think at the time, actually the Pacers were ahead of the Knicks in the standings and, um, they, they were, they they were around the sixth or uh, fifth or sixty. The conversation we had talked about how realistic that was, and obviously we didn't expect like the injuries and for for the cliff to kind of uh, rear its ugly head. But how did Pacer fans feel about what has transpired over the last thirty eight games or so? Is there still enough positivity about that start to the season that the last forty games or so are? easier to stomach, especially with what's going to end up being a pretty good draft pick and a pretty good draft class. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that they settled back into where expectations originally were. I mean, to be Mm -hmm. honest, so that was kind of set going into the season where, you know, at media day, they were talking about, you know, it's not about wins or losses. It's about the development of the guys on the roster. So now over the last five games, especially like, I don't suspect that Tyrese and miles Turner are going to play again. Like you're not going to see them in that game tomorrow night. I would highly doubt. So, you know, Benedict Mathern's moved into the starting lineup. They've put him in at starting small forward over Buddy Heald. You know, guys are getting important reps down the season, and I think people see value in that, even if it leads to losing. I mean, they've had, you know, groups out there that don't involve those two starting guys, and they've still got wins over the Toronto Raptors. They beat the Oklahoma City Thunder earlier this week. So, you know, it's not necessarily an imperative that they're trying to go out there and do that. But if winning comes as a product of them getting also reps for those guys, then, you know, I think that the team values that. But also, like what you said, I think most fans right now realize that they would rather have the draft picks than have got into the playing tournament. I think that was the general consensus over the fandom that I've assessed over the last you know month or so. So speaking of general consensus over the fandom, who's who are keepers on this team? Because one of the big conversations we had back then was like, do you expect healed and how ha- not Halliburton healed and uh, uh, miles Turner to be here um, on the other side of the trade deadline? Obviously they're both still here. So of the, the core that is here and it was part of that start to the season who are, who are keepers or at least who are the ones that Pacers fans want to be keepers. Yeah. I mean, I think the miles Turner thing was probably my biggest surprise of the season that they re-signed him to an extension. I mean, I think that, Miles will still be in town. Tyrese is still in town. Buddy's a little bit trickier situation because he's on an expiring deal. And because, you know, if they want to move Mathern into the starting lineup, I think they still need to start Andrew Nemhard like they currently are pending what they do in the draft because Nemhard's very important to what they do defensively. And they've won the minutes when Miles and Buddy and Mathern have been on the court with Tyrese, but that's because of an otherworldly offensive rating. Like a lot of opponents will hunt Tyrese or, you know, and then you'll have Benedict as the low man. Sometimes like as an example, they played the Utah Jazz. Colin Sexton was hunting Tyrese pretty relentlessly down the stretch in that game. And the Pacers actually pre-switched Buddy Heald into a screening action. So like that's effectively communicating that they view Buddy Heald as the safer matchup in those situations than Tyrese. I mean, and some of that might be because they value Tyrese's off-ball awareness too, but that's just a, 
that's a flash bulb of kind of what the situation is. So I think more so what battlegrounds you'll be looking at is the Duarte situation, because if you have Benedict and Andrew in the starting lineup, and depending upon what happens with Buddy, it kind of gets hard to find where his place is. And given that he was already older for being a sophomore player and that he's had kind of the slumping season that he has, like, is there going to be a clear defined role for him or would it be better to maybe get him to a different situation? I think he's better than what he's shown this year, but you know, if there's, if he's not going to be able to ascend to the starting lineup, then, you know, it's kind of a case of like, what are we doing here type thing. And then also because they found out that Jalen wasn't working at starting power forward, they have like a glut of centers. So Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith are effectively trading off on who gets to start at the five spot from game to game, which is okay for right now because Miles Turner isn't playing, but you know, you can't have both of them share time sharing backup five when you also have Daniel Tice, who is another potential trade candidate on an expiring deal. Who's just like not playing now either. So um, I think that those are the main guys to look at, but I mean, as it stands right now, they have 12 players under contract for next year and they have three first round picks. So um, definitely something to consider. I want to stay right there with Halliburton because even though we mostly watch the Knicks, there are, there are many uh, a night or potentially for gambling purposes. We're watching other teams and we throw some takes around in our Knicks film score group chat. And Halliburton's actually come up a lot because, you know, Jalen Brunson this season has been a revelation. I mean, I was optimistic on what he'd be as far as an impact on the Knicks. And I didn't think he'd be anything be this as far as like in the all NBA conversation. I don't think he'll make it, but he's in the conversation. Um, and with Halliburton, I see a similar offensive impact but the pushback has always been what he is on defense. Can you speak to his defensive limitations and whether they're blown out of proportion or if there is something to be worried about, like you said, with teams hunting him on the defensive end? No, I think there's some concern there. Um, he's definitely, I think there's an argument that between he or Miles, one of the two of them is the most improved player on the roster this year. I mean, Tyrese has made definite strides offensively and as a closer, but defensively, like that game I just mentioned with Utah, they were hunting him quite a bit. Luca was looking for him pretty relentlessly in Dallas, um, especially trying to get him in the post. So from a strength position, if, if he's giving up size to a bigger guard like a Luka Doncic, he's going to struggle in the post situation where he kind of just gets shed. Or if it's a mismatch, they give up a switch and a guy takes him in the post. That's a problem. His on-ball defense, he doesn't, he has a hard time staying in front. So the Pacers do a lot of peel switching, but you know, then Mm. that can kind of lead with a young roster of whether guys can find where they're supposed to peel off to on the perimeter to try to mask some of that. But yeah, I mean, I think in addition, it'd be one thing if you had a lot of stout defenders on the perimeter around him, that like, oh, well, we can pre-switch this guy in or, you know, we can protect him in that particular sort of way. But the Pacers really at this point don't necessarily have that. I mean, Nemhard and Neesmith are their two strongest defenders, but Nemhard is really a guy where a lot of his strengths kind of show up in smaller, tiny details than just being like, hey, this is a really stout on-ball defender, kind of like in the way that you would think of like Quentin Grimes and what he does when he's, you know, guarding through screening actions or like Marcus Smart. That's not necessarily the case there. So um, I do think there's concerns because there's also going to be incentive for the fact to hunt him and to go at him in the playoff series the next time the Pacers are in a playoff series because of how much he means not only to them offensively in the half court, but to the pace. So if you know that the Pacers' most effective thing that they do is the fact that they're number two in transition frequency, there's incentive to wear him down and to go at him defensively so that you can try to you know impact what they want to do on the open floor as well. Yeah, the the way the Knicks have kind of not necessarily hid Brunson and look to to Brunson's credit, while he 
like one of our one of our contributors, Mensa, likes to call him a, a very, very polished traffic cone where he, he's crafty and he's such a, a, an impact offensively in, in ways that you could kind of live with the fact that if you take him one on one, you really can take him one on one. That uh, Darius Garland kind of had his way with him in the second half on Friday night against the against the the Cavaliers, but like he's able to make up in some ways with like drawing offensive fouls and um, whether it be on switches where he's able to use his body um, in certain ways to do so. Uh, one might call it flopping. One might call it very being very strategic with contact. Um, but he seems to like to go under screens and then kind of fall behind them. We call it the Brun. You get Brun sunned when you fall (laughs) for that. Uh, shout out Benji Ritholtz. But speaking of Benji Ritholtz, he, he, one of our our main film analysts, um, he pointed out how they've been hiding, not just Brunson, but Randall on peel switches. And this is where Emmanuel quickly in the defensive impact and improvement that he's made this season has been able to really be a tool that they've been able to use, but it sucks when you're, you're hiding two different players um, on defense. So I asked, I asked basically because you have the limitations of Halliburton, as far as team building going forward, is it so much of a limitation that like you have to figure like there are four other guys that need to make up for his um, defensive limitations that you can't have another guy like not to say that the Knicks are going to trade Julius Randle, but like a guy like that, that's really great offensively, but kind of picks and chooses when he plays defense. Or is there like a Sacramento in in the works for the Pacers future where it's like, listen, we're just going to lead into offense and see, see if we can outscore everybody. You know, I mean, the one thing that is positive about Tyrese is because he does have more size and the wingspan. He is good at putting his arms in passing lanes and anticipating. And sometimes in rearview pursuit, if a guy's like snaking, he can be pretty good at getting back in the picture and maybe getting like a rearview block. Even if he gets beat, he can sometimes get back in that situation. And I think that they do value some of his instincts away from the ball. But I would lean towards they need to add defenders to the roster because, like I said, like they already like Benedict has made a few strides here in the last few games. Like he did get a big stop. He got switched on to Shea just at the end of the game versus the Thunder. He stayed on the ground through two shot fakes, and then he had an offhand contest left hand with Shea as a right-handed shooter and was able to get a stop. So that was a big stride for him. But he still has problems with like court mapping off the ball, um, deciding when he needs to help and when he doesn't. Like if they are switching his ability to impact the passes to the role man isn't that good. And then when he goes over the top of screens, a lot of times it will just like hug the screener that showed up against Toronto whenever he was defending Fred Van Fleet, especially in the first half before they went to switching. So because those two are the future in the backcourt, you know, it was rumored that the Pacers had some interest in OG on an OB at the trade deadline with how many picks they have. And I think that makes complete sense for a multitude of reasons because he is such a positionalist defender. You can move him to guards. You can move him to centers. There are times where Toronto will put him on, you know, Anthony Davis or um, Jokic. When they played Denver, he defended Jokic. So if the Pacers do believe in what they're doing with Miles, having somebody like OG where they're like, hey, we can throw him on centers. We can switch. That way the rearview pursuit doesn't matter as much. That type of stuff makes sense. But to answer your question, I think that they need to upgrade the defense. I think that needs to be their priority in the offseason rather than fully leaning into the offense. Because right now, like, and some of the offense has been impacted because Tyrese isn't playing clearly, but their offense in transition is much better than their half-court offense. It's not like they have like an elite half-court offense as it is. So, Well, 
To your point about having to improve, though, um, you hinted at it earlier, but I'm looking at the three-man combinations now, and in over a 1,000 minutes, the Halliburton, Heald, and Turner lineup, or at least the three-man combo, was plus 3.1 this season. And then you go to the clean the glass individual plus minus, and you know, over almost 2,000 possessions each, um, Halliburton, 85th percentile, plus 6.2, Buddy Heald, 2,400 possessions this season, plus 5.5. And Miles Turner in 1,800, plus 5.6. So you do have three three guys that have been an overall positive this season. For someone that's actually watched them this year, um, I guess I'll just flatly ask, like, how far away are they from being, let's just say, like where the Knicks are this year, like fighting for the five seed in a, in a loaded Eastern Conference? Yeah, I mean, I think if they added another piece and depending upon what they do in the draft, that's a reasonable conversation. But like right now, their record against above 500 teams is like second or third worst in the Mm. Eastern Conference. Like they haven't really gotten a lot of high quality wins against the better teams. They were there for a stretch when they first made the switch to get Neesmith into the starting lineup where they got some, you know, better wins against after they lost that game to the Knicks when the Wally Zerbiak thing happened. That was kind of a turning point where they got you know, a quality win with Tyrese scoring 40 and getting the game winner against the Heat. They had a win over the Clippers, and a lot of these games were going into crunch time, and they were really, Tyrese was making a lot of good decisions in late-game situations. But other than that, that leads me to think that they're a bit further away, and I think that the front office kind of recognized that at the trade deadline as well, that they weren't going to make any short-term moves. Because I think they've kind of moved on culturally from their stand in the past where they wanted to be a tough out in the playoffs. I think they want to have bigger... Uh, dreams than that and ideas where they're willing to take, you know, a slower approach and maybe take steps back backward if it means they can take more steps forward later on where that hasn't been something that the Pacers have been willing to do in the past where maybe, you know, they would have pulled the trigger on a deal for like, you know, a John Collins type player where it's like, oh, this gives us a more complimentary core. We might be somewhat competitive and, you know, we'll really give that tough team, you know, in the playoffs, you know, four or five hard games before we get sent home. I don't think that's what they're aiming to do anymore. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Knicks fans? Power up for springtime with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Get nutritious, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie-smart, vegan veggie, and protein-plus meals on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 36 quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper, but meals are ready quicker than restaurants delivery. Just two minutes. Also, eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor. Each meal has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to your vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use the code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first buy. Again, that's factormeals.com slash filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Speaking of deals they did pull the trigger on, I did want to ask about how you and I guess how Pacer fans have processed what's happened in Sacramento this year. Um, I I mean, look, you make that deal every time, especially with... um, especially with what you're getting back in Halliburton and being able to kind of restart the clock on, on a young point guard like that, that also made the all-star team this year, but seeing Sabonis and the impact he's made and how he's going to make all NBA. It looks like this season and how the Kings are going to be the three seed. It looks like in the Western conference, how have you processed what's happened in Sacramento? Right. So I would say that I did not expect the Kings to be this good this fast, but I think most people that follow my Pacers coverage know that I was probably more optimistic about Sabonis than most. Um, Last year, what he was doing in a Pacer uniform, I don't think got enough attention because the numbers he was putting up were even more impressive to me because their shooting was so bad. Mm. Justin Holiday was the only movement shooter on the roster. He was really overburdened and he was like at the time of the trade deadline, I think he was the only person shooting above 35% from three. Duarte might have been just a hair above that, but that was all they had. So I mean they would go to games like when they were in Phoenix and Chris Paul literally looked at their bench and said they can't effing shoot back up. So you would be seeing games like I mean I remember vividly watching the Knicks flood all the way over against the bonus when they'd go up to Toronto so bonus wouldn't even have the ball and there'd be three guys around him at the block or like they'd play the nets. He'd draw a triple team and guys would just stand there. They wouldn't cut into the space. They didn't have shooters available for that. So 
given that when they were going through the COVID and the Omicron phase and some more of the offense was shifting to him, it's through more of a fulcrum and a point Sabonis role than what was happening early on in the season. I thought that was even more impressive. So when a lot of the narratives, quote unquote narratives came out when that trade happened, like, oh, this is just a theft for the Pacers. Like I was enthused for them to get Tyrese Halliburton because quite frankly, I don't think that they fully had a way to build the roster out around Sabonis in the way that the Kings have. So I understand why they did it, especially if you can get a guy of that caliber back on a rookie deal. Like you do that every time if you're the Pacers, in my opinion. But people were acting like it was one of the worst trades ever made. Like it was mm-hmm. one of the most lopsided trades. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, how much of Sabonis had you really watched? So I will admit I did not expect to see the Kings be firmly in home court advantage. But I'm not surprised that Sabonis has elevated a roster. Some of that has to do with what's happened in the West this year with with this weird warrior season that I just, they're one of they're, they're the Pistons at home on the road. And then they're the 2017 warriors at home. Um, and then you add in what's happened in Phoenix and you add in what's happened. Um, well, I mean, geez, with Dallas Knicks fans know that personally, because the Knicks have their pick top 10 protected and little did we know we'd have to worry if that would even convey this season, but shout out to, to what's happened there. Um, as we transition into one of my last questions about the Knicks, um, I just I want your expert opinion. Like this season's been one of the one of the strangest to cover. There's been so many inflection points that I've thought, okay, that now we're heading back to the play-in, like we're heading back to obscurity. And it's just every single time that's happened, the opposite has has happened. And you know, it's like, oh, here comes the four game losing streak. They win four out of five. Up, oh, here comes they're gonna fire Tibbs. They win eight straight. Up, oh, they traded a first round pick for Josh Hart. They're on a fifty six win pace since. Josh Hart was acquired. Um, what have you seen from the Knicks? And you know how far do you personally think this could go? Well, first of all, I do have a quick question. Is Julius okay. Randle going to be healthy for the first round of the playoffs? It's Is that the expectation? It's an important question. I don't think right away. I think the best way to put it is what happened to Luka last year, where he came back, I think, in game four of that Utah series. I can't see a way personally where Julius is ready for game one. Um, so if you want to say like, if you want to say like he's there for game three, like he's there for the first game at Madison square garden, that would be my most optimistic one. We're getting in a reevaluation of Julius on Thursday of play in week. And that will tell us whether it's a two week injury and he's back or if it's a three week, three to four week injury and he's missing the entire first round. Yeah. So I would say that it's, Assuming that it shakes out that the four or five is Cleveland and the Knicks, which I think is what it's going to be. I think that's the most interesting first round series out of all of them right now, just because I'm really curious to see how, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland versus Knicks drop coverage plays out. And if they are really going at the drop coverage, which I mean, when you look at Donovan Mitchell's three point shooting, like he shot really well in that first game against the Knicks. When I looked this up a week ago. And but Grimes wasn't playing in that game. Mm-hmm. So when Grimes was out there and able to chase him over and was using some of the weekend contests against him, it seemed to bother him a lot more. So I'm really curious to see how that's going to go. And then if they don't get that, like, will Tibbs be willing to mix in some trapping with Mitchell Robinson and see like, because the Cavs do have players around them that I think you can chance with their shooting, like a Coro, obviously, but then also like just from my experience with Karis Levert, you can generally be like, okay, if he, if he beats us with catch and shoot threes, he kind of does. So like how aggressive will the Knicks be willing to help off those other guys? I think that there's just a lot of chess match stuff there. In addition to the fact, like 
is this going to devolve into both teams being like, I'm Donovan Mitchell and I'm going to hunt Jalen Brunson on that end of the floor every possession. And now I'm Jalen Brunson and I'm going to do what I did in the Mavs jazz series last year. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to hunt Donovan Mitchell every possession. Like it kind of seemed like that's where I only got to see part of that most recent game that they played against the Cavs last week, but that's Mm -hmm. where it was already going. Like there was already some like playoff chess match stuff going on in that game. And like, I don't know where Knicks fans stand with RJ right now. I'd be <laughs> to get your opinion on that. But like, that's kind of like that matchup alone is going to be interesting because surely the Cavs will put length on Brunson. Surely, like I would suspect that Akora will be guarding Jalen Brunson. So if he gets the wing matchup, RJ is going to get one of those smaller guards. And what can he do against that? So I'll ask you, where where is the RJ thermometer at these that days? Is- that is the million dollar question outside of will Julius be healthy? And the funny part is about the Julius question. There's I have no idea if it's like 60, 40, 70, 30, or even 50, 50. There's, there's a, a contingent of Knicks fans, a portion of the fan base that has seen what this offense has finally looked like where it's less isolation heavy and there's more ball movement and more people are getting involved. Like the, the game on Friday night against the Cavs, while Jalen Brunson went nuclear, the Knicks also had seven players in double figures. Like everybody was eating on Friday night, which usually doesn't happen when Julius Randle is soaking up a ton of the usage and their defense got better. Just flat out from Julius not being there, their defense was better. So there's a portion of the fan base that is like, do we even need Julius to come back for the first round series? But I'll get to that in a second. The other big one is like, what's going on with RJ? And look, I'm on record that it's, it's so much less about his offense. He's actually... It's very minor, but he's improved in his finishing at the rim numbers. It's it's so minor. I I I'm not saying he's like taking a leap. I'm saying like, oh, you know what? It's a it's a step. You know, it may be literally one step on the staircase, but it's it's a minor improvement. But the defense has fallen off a cliff. You're just you're able to take advantage of him on your first step. He's not able to keep up with guards. Um, like I'm not even saying like point guards, like any guard, any wing. And it's why my thought when Julius went down was like, all right, RJ now can kind of play with fours now, which is probably probably more suited to where he should be guarding at this point in the season. Um, and look, his ability to take advantage of Tyler Hero has come in play. Um, when the Knicks have played the Heat, and it's like, all right, Jimmy and Bam are going to be guarding Randall and Sabon- uh, Randall and uh, Brunson, but then RJ kind of gets to cook on the Gabe Vincents and the Tyler Heroes of the world. So you hope that he's able to do the same in a series like this. Just every now and then, he'll have these like 0 for 8 first halves, and it's like, well, then if I can't count on you for your shot making, I know I can't count on you for your defense, and it becomes less forgivable, you know, like some of your better at that point with quickly. Oh, every single lineup that you could say like quickly or RJ, because that's the thing quickly. will have these bad shooting moments too, but he's been such a revelation on the defensive end that you're at least able to see an impact from him in other ways where you are just not seeing that with RJ. I look, I'm not out on him. I want to see him like improve. I do think the dicks are going to trade him this off season, but like as far as I'm concerned, I want to see, I, I want to see if they're actually going to potentially. And Knicks fans that are watching this, please do not like throw the phone or whatever you're watching. They're listening to this on out the window. I want to see what his minutes look like in the playoffs. That's where we're at. Are we talking like he's going to play his his shifts in the first half, 
And then if it's one of those RJ games, you're not playing the second half. Like, I wonder where we're going to go with this, especially with the way Quickly's playing, especially with the way Quentin Grimes is playing lately. And then Josh Hart has just been like a godsend since he's been here. Um, and whether the Knicks go small, you know, we'll see in that sense. So that's where I am. There is a very vocal, be more patient. He's 22 portion of the fan base um, that is not out on him. But the tide has turned from star J to hopefully rotation J in the future, you know? Then yeah, on the Randall front too, like I will, I will give my Randall take that I think it will matter if Randall is not healthy in that series. You don't say yes. Yeah. I mean, I think just a little bit, like I like Obi Toppin. I think he's a nice player, but you know, I think that there would be a pretty big incentive from the Cavs, especially with the mobility of Evan Mobley to be trapping Jalen Brunson. And then that kind of does bring us back to the Pacers a little bit, because as you remember in that January 11th game, when the Pacers were getting cooked at halftime, because they were trying to strong Jalen Brunson to his right, force him into the corner, and they didn't have Miles Turner in that game, and he was just cooking them. I think he had like 15 points in the first quarter. Rick Carlisle made the decision of, hey, we're going to trap him off of every Mitchell Robinson screen. And size is size. Like As good as Jalen Brunson has been this year, he is undersized against the trap. So he wasn't really finding Mitchell Robinson in the short roll. And to the point where I think, I believe in that game that Tibbs waited until there was like under two minutes to finally pull Mitchell Robinson and let Julius Randle play at the five. And the Pacers were just trapping everything to feed into their pace, but it gave the Knicks problems. So I don't know how much you guys have seen of that since that particular game, but I think if Julius Randle wasn't out there, there would be even more incentive to be sending two to the ball, which I mean, I that's where quickly becomes a lot more important because of what he's doing to punch a gap and to be a secondary ball handler. But I think you would want Julius Randle out there if that ends up being somewhere where the Cavs go. So it's it's tough because you're pointing out what they'll do on the offensive end, like how they're going to be able to score points. And while I I immediately made the observation on Friday night that like Okoro's not playing, Jared Allen's not playing, while the Knicks are having like an incredible night of shooting, guys are open. And while Brunson is going off, the guy that they would use to guard Brunson is not here. I've, I've talked to the chase down guys a bunch and went on their show last week and they said like, yeah, like we, we expect, we expect the Coro to make Brunson's life hell for a seven game series or throughout a seven game series, even though the yeah. Knicks would obviously try to switch a bunch to create a, a, a mismatch as often as possible, especially in that Donovan Mitchell matchup um, in the second half, as again, shout out Benji Ritholtz pointed out in a thread this weekend that the Cavs slowed him down a little bit when it came to putting Mobley onto him with the switch. And that's where the Knicks had to find other ways to score, which is where Quentin Grimes came in, which is where uh, Josh Hart came in, which is where um, um, Quentin, uh, Emmanuel quickly came in. And they were able to find ways that way. I just look, if you ask me now, I think the Knicks, there is a world they could win that series. I wouldn't pick them to win that series without Julius Randle. Um, there's just going to be games you need some tough shot making. And that's where Julius would come into play. And in a series where you can, I, I just, I will say if the Cavs are like, we'll, we'll, we'll beat you with Evan Mobley. So it's like, I've already eliminated your first two options. That means Garland and Mitchell aren't going to beat me. Then if, if it's the third guy that beats me, like, all right, check me. Like I tip my cap. You were able to beat us with your third guy. Um, and I wonder well, if like that a whole nother, you know, difference between that series. Cause you know, the Knicks physicality versus Evan Mobley. Like if there's yeah. something that bothers Evan Mobley, that's what it is to this point in time. I mean, I really like Evan, but if you can be physical with him, I think that that is to your benefit. 
So do you think they obviously Randall would be someone that could do that, but could they potentially do it with like a Josh Hart or in certain lineups where like I'm just I'm not a fan of like what Tibbs did earlier in the year. It worked as like a novelty where he went to two centers, the Jericho Sims, Isaiah Hartenstein. Oh, but that's the other thing. Isaiah Hartenstein is significantly better than when Than the last time we talked, we watched, yeah, he was sure. unplayable for a while. He's talked about this with the media a ton that he was dealing with an Achilles injury for like two months. This that makes sense. Then he got healthier and now he's more mobile. He's, he's like a, he's not Jokic, but it's like whatever the, the even lighter version of light beer is that's what he is to Jokic where he's just like <laughs> running the offense as a point point center. Um, and he's creating these, these opportunities off the bench where he's been closing games. Even when Mitch is playing well and dominating the offensive glass, we're still going to go with Hartenstein to close because he adds an element on the offensive end. That's been good. Um, so the question I was going to ask though, like, can they, be physical with Mobley, even if it isn't Randall, like with a Josh Hart, with in some looks an Isaiah Hartenstein or a Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think so. I mean, even if it's just on the glass, I mean, there's other ways to do it besides just pounding somebody in a post where, you know, he, he can get bothered and worn down over the season. Because when he does switch out, like I know from the sake of watching the Pacers play them, like he's probably one of the best switch bigs in the NBA in terms of grinding an offense. And you saw some of that too last year when the Cavs played the Hawks in the play in and how they were switching Jared Allen and Evan Mobley out to Trey young. So, you know, if they do what you just said about Hardenstein's too, like that's another look for them as well, because if they do counter and start trapping Jalen Brunson in the event that Randall wasn't there, then having somebody like Hartenstein as a release valve, who I think's better at making those types of plays than what Mitchell is, that might be a look that you go to all on its own. Well, it'll be a, a fascinating matchup to watch in, in the first round. If again, magic number by the time people have are seeing this might have already been clinched, but it's with one Knicks loss, one Knicks win or one Nets loss, uh, the the Knicks will be playing the Cavs in the first round of the playoffs. Um, last question before I let you go. So I, I've talked a lot over the past couple of months with Miami fans and Miami content creators because the Knicks heat rivalry back in the nineties is something that I was drawn to and made me a Knicks fan. I, I first real Knicks memory I have is the Allen Houston running jumper in the first round of the playoffs in 99. Um, then you go to the Knicks Pacers rivalry though. And you and I've really never talked about the fact that the Knicks and Pacers have like this blood feud from the nineties and like, I, I'm I'm curious, I really wonder how you process when Reggie Miller is calling games compared to how we process Reggie Miller when he's calling games on TNT. Um, the the mind bleep throughout the the mid 2010s when it was like Marv and Reggie on the call tonight. It's like wait a minute, my like our guy and then their guy are going to be calling this basketball game tonight. Um, is the rivalry alive at all for you, the Knicks-Pacers rivalry um, in any sense where you have animosity toward the Knicks in any way. I know like you're you're much more like analytical with your coverage, so I don't know if the emotional part ever gets into you at all, but you know, how do you view the Knicks or at least as far as a, as a Pacer fan is concerned? I think the Pacers fandom as a whole still sees it as a special matchup. Okay, uh, good. I was very young in the 90s when the Reggie thing was happening. Like I'm talking about like five and six years old when some of that's happening, so I don't have the same connection as I think a lot of the fan base does, but like honestly, I think the Wally Zerbiak thing kind of whipped it up in the Pacers fandom. <laughs> People are still talking about this this many months later. 
So I, I think that that's brought it back. I've seen fans like wearing t-shirts about that, that they, oh my God. The <laughs> never been on our show, by the way, while he's react and one would argue that's intentional. Um, yeah. God, God Perhaps. bless you. M- MSG. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised that that ignited something that was we all went on the record as it happened. Like, we don't agree. We think Halliburton's great. We think he's like going to make an all star team and is deserving of the all star team. And obviously so he got of, it. You know? It was just so random because like, I don't even think I've ever even heard Tyrese like to that point. I don't think I'd ever heard Tyrese talking about being an all star. So I don't really know where that came from. But I think he tried to say the thing and he said it and the thing was aggregated. And yeah. You know, he he walked it back. Good, good on him. But um, it would be fun if, again, there was a world where this was like the four five or even the seven eight in the plane play for a while. Yeah. You know, maybe that was the, was the best case. I look, I'd be much happier to go back to this being a rivalry than this weird Knicks Hawks thing that's developed over the past couple of years, where it's mostly Twitter generated and not for nothing. Like neither team won anything two years ago. The the <laughs> Hawks won because uh the Knicks house of cards finally fell and Ben Simmons, God bless him self-destructed. And since then they have, they were the eighth seed and whatever they're going to be this year, potentially the 10th seed. Um, if, if the, the records break out a certain way. Um, so I, I'd, I'd, I'd be happier to, to go back to a, a Knicks Pacers rivalry and get back to our roots in the nineties. Um, and look, one thing I'm, I'm happy about is that there's a place for me to read all of uh, Caitlin Cooper's basketball writings. Basketball, she wrote. Again, the link is below our faces in the description of this episode. If you're listening to this in podcast form, it is also in the uh, description of this episode. Uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. I just kind of did it, but if there's anything else I missed, where can people find you? Plug away. Right. So my Twitter handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. That's where I'll share all the links. That's where the link to the Patreon is in my bio. If you're interested in checking that out, that's where that's the central hub of my content. So that's where you can find me. Okay. There's like merch on your, your Patreon too, right? There is, there is. So yeah, I wrote an article over the summer tracking Tyrese's jump passes and like midway through the season, somebody was like, you need to make a shirt about jump passes. So once I was unemployed, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make shirts to go along with this kind of try to build some community here, get my logo on them and see, you know, that's easy advertising for me if people want to buy those and wear those and rep the blog. I appreciate that. And then there's also one that I kind of had a Twitter bit a few years ago when the Pacers didn't make the playoffs. I was getting up in the morning and being like, as a lifelong fan of the Denver Nuggets, and then I would share something about the Nuggets. And I did this for like every team that was in the playoffs. So I made a shirt kind of mocking myself about that that says lifelong fan and then it's the state of indiana with a basketball which i'm sure everyone listening to this that likes the knicks (laughs) would love to own and wear that shirt i actually have a friend who lives in brooklyn who bought it i was like i can't believe you're gonna wear that shirt around new york and they're like that's why i bought it well so they probably because they're actually a lifelong fan uh tyrese wore the the jump passes are good shirt right like he he wore that to a home game and his brother wore it his family sits underneath the one stanchion at most home games. So his brother wore it in a different color way as well, which I very much appreciate. So that well, was cool. If you want to support the people that make time for our little podcast, uh, please head on over to her Patreon, head over to, I guess her merch store. It's on T public, right? It's on T public. Correct. Yeah. yeah you know, over to, road on T public. We will put that link also in the description of both this video and to this podcast episode. Caitlin, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me guys. 
Once again, a big thank you to Caitlin Cooper for coming on today's show and helping me not really preview this matchup against the Indiana Pacers, but really give me a, a state of the franchise with the Pacers and what they're they're looking for in the future and, and what they need to improve on and really how this season went. Uh, and also for giving me her take on the Knicks Cavaliers matchup and whether or not they can win a series without Julius Randle or whether they're going to need to Julius Randle to come back in order for them to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cannot recommend her work enough. Um, if you aren't a patron yet, there's a $3 tier. There's a $5 tier. Please sign up. The link is in the description of this episode. So is her merch store. There's a sale going on right now on T public. So, uh, if you want to go and support her in that way, you can also like Nick's Film School has a merch store. We're on T Public as well. The link to that is on our website, nicksfilmschool.com. S K O O L, like because we're cool like that. Um, so if you want to also just find us on T Public and get a KFS shirt or KFS mug or KFS hoodie or KFS like notebook, KFS phone cover, whatever you want, it's all in the merch store. Um, so take advantage of the sale because you can get it at a discount right now. That's at tpublic.com slash school. I think. Um, that being said, uh, hopefully you enjoy the game tonight. I did, from the time I recorded the intro to the now, to when I'm recording the outro, think of a reason why this game is actually meaningful. While it they're locked into the five seed and they can't improve or get worse, Let's let's fast forward to June. So... The Phoenix Suns right now are 44 and 35. Say there's a Knicks Suns NBA Finals. The Knicks, if they want home court advantage, should make sure that they have a better record than the Phoenix Suns, who are currently streaking. They've won six games in a row. Uh, Kevin Durant is back. So maybe game one of a Knicks Suns NBA Finals is at Madison Square Garden. And the only way that happens is if the Knicks make sure they finish with a better record than the Phoenix Suns. So I say all of that to say that maybe that's why Tibbs is going to play all the starters tonight. That's why we're going to get 45 minutes Jalen Brunson anyway. However, it would also not shock me if someone steps in and says, old man, you've done a good job this year. Let's not screw it up now. Um, Daquan Jeffries and Trevor Keels and Deuce McBride and Jericho Sims are in your starting lineup tonight. All right, buddy, you can play Obi. How's that? Obi can play 40 minutes, although we are going to need him for the postseason. Um, regardless, join us on playback tonight. I will get back to you throughout the day. Um, those who are on Patreon who get the email, um, I'll let you know. Uh, today's Passover. Shout out to all those celebrating and some of those celebrating are usually on playback and unavailable tonight. So as far as who can go, I know John will be there at seven. I also... I have an obligation that I forgot about. Shout out to getting married. Um, and I, I need... To go do that before the game starts tonight. Uh, also, shout out to Indiana for starting your games at 7 instead of 7.30. So I will at least be there for some of the playback. And then, of course, John and I will, more specifically, John will be on the post game recapping this one and most likely fielding all your comments and super chats that are going to be either this game related, hopefully nothing like crazy, like an injury happens during the game. Uh, but it's mostly going to be Cavs related, I'm sure. Having said all of that, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I'll be back on Friday morning with another pregame pod talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. And until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.